Alright, so uh, y'all been hearing me talk about Justin and Lynn. Lynn, y'all stand up, y'all stand up. You probably never actually heard me call her Lynn Johnson. We usually refer to her as Lenny Pie. Uh, these guys have had the misfortune of knowing a bunch of us for a long time and putting up with us when we didn't know anything. And uh, we love them. They're on our board, so I kind of work for him. And uh, y'all be nice to it. Like, no matter what, lots of amens, lots of excitement. Then if you fall asleep, I'm going to meet with you after the service. Because he's my boss. <laughs> I really could probably, we could just end it up. That was great worship. I, uh, it's hard to follow that, in my opinion. That was, uh, y'all are, y'all are, it blesses me greatly to be able to participate in worship. Uh, usually I'm on the other end pushing people to worship. And uh, that can get kind of tiring. Uh, being here was a huge refreshment. Not just, not only getting to see you guys, uh, those that I know, and uh, so awesome to see you guys and all the new faces. I uh, can't wait to get to meet you and know you better. But just to be able to experience worship and praise God with other brothers and sisters, uh, it does something to your soul. When you haven't had it in a long time, it's encouraging. And it really blessed me. Thank you all for that. Uh, it's, it's really blessing. Blessing to be here. The last time I spoke, and I'm ashamed to say this, and I apologize to you, uh, I, it was uh, quite a few years ago, I couldn't figure it out, but you were in a garage that you had uh, converted four, four or five years ago. Shame on me. Um, uh, and it was about six or seven of us yeah, on a was, Sunday morning. It was a mega church, man. And it was... And, 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 and it was a blessing and an honor to be able to uh, share then, and it is an equal blessing to be able to share now. Uh, Eric mentioned that I'm on the board, uh, and of course, uh, he's pulling your leg. I'm not his boss at all, it's like you didn't know that. But uh, I am honored that I can be a part of ministry with these two guys uh, and with all of you. And, um, you know, God has brought these men through a lot in their life and he's brought us together I got to be a part of that for a small part together hand in hand I was roommates with Matt for goodness sakes I lived with the guy and uh, worked with him got to work with both of these brothers in the secular field okay and, I repent now <laughs> <laughs> and uh and it, I got to spend time with these guys and, and, and be a part, and they got to pull me along in my Christian walk. Um, right. We share a history together, and uh, the enemy tried to destroy that, uh, never destroyed this relationship or this bond, but the enemy definitely tried to, in other ways, uh, separate us. And for them to ask me to be a part the way they've asked me to be a part is humbling, and uh, it's something that it, it just brings me joy. It's hard to express. But I want to tell both of you, I love you both and thank you. Uh, we love Lynn more. But we I understand. I think that's why, if it were theologically correct to have a woman on board, I think you would. You would I think it's really Lynn is the one. But, uh, but I, I'm blessed and it's good to be here. And I promise that uh, I will, if I'm allowed and if it's okay and... God willing, we'll be here more often and be able to participate more. I look forward to the future that God has for us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, listen, I'm going to just share a little bit about my testimony. You know, growing up my whole life, 
when I was a teenager, I'm, I'm 36, by the way, and this is my wife, Lynn. She's older than me. By a year. <laughs> <laughs> you might know that up front. She robbed the cradle with me. Uh, she looks younger, but she is technically older. But, uh, I, I, uh, we also have three children, which they didn't get to make at this time. I had the opportunity to allow them to be babysat while we came here, and I took it. Before my mother uh, finished the sentence of, can I watch the kids, I'd already said yes. Uh, Lynn and I get to, I told Jennifer we get to be, it's like we're teenagers again. I can't, you know, we, we haven't been apart from our kids uh, for more than two days or a day uh, since they were born. But I have a daughter who's eight, her name is Hannah. I have a son who is five, his name is Jude. And we have a little ball of thunder, uh, three-year-old. Ella, and uh, next time we come, I promise we're gonna we're gonna bring them. Um, but at any rate, uh, we, uh, my wife and I, uh, we met. Well, I'm gonna start over. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna start from way back when. I want everybody to get to know. Uh, I know a lot of people. I see a lot of familiar faces here. People that uh, it's awesome to get to see you guys, uh, all of you. But for those of you who don't know it, and a lot of you may have known my parents' testimony but you don't know the testimony that God has given me. So I thought I'd share that tonight. Is that okay with you guys? Yes. Amen. Um, but it's one thing that the enemy always, in my flesh, uh, always, uh, I would get nagged in my flesh about this, and I would just feel the enemy, and now I know it for what it is. But I would always, the enemy would always tell me that I don't really have a testimony. And... Uh, because, uh, you know, I, would, I grew up in this church. I grew up going to a church just like this. You know, the, God's power, uh, anointing, worshipful people, praying, lifting hands, dancing. Uh, and, and I was one of these kids down here on the front row. That was me. And, um, and my, so my testimony, I kind of grew up in this. Me and her were in the same youth group a lot of times. And we were little kids together, me and Gabby. But the, the thing of it is, is that uh, in this, when you grow up in it, you kind of get immersed in Jesus as a kid, and you grow up in this thing. And I didn't realize, uh, and I would always have this thing nagging, like I didn't have a testimony like I saw other people that would get transformed, and God would save them from this, that, and the other. But God spoke to me something very clearly uh, in my, when I was in my early 20s, uh, that the testimony that he's given me is the testimony not what he saved me from, but that the fact that God took my heart and he transformed it and he molded it and he shaped it into a vessel that he can use. And that he's not, I'm not trying to shape and mold Justin how I can be used or how I can receive glory, but I'm committed to the king and being shaped and molded by his word, by his presence, by brothers and sisters who encourage me and who I can encourage. And I do God's will, and when I do that, he shapes and he forms me and he molds me, and he allows me to be that vessel. And that's the testimony that I have tonight. And I encourage you, he's doing the exact same thing with each of you. Each of you that profess Jesus as Lord, and you're allowing yourself to be shaped and molded and fashioned into that vessel that can be filled up by God's power and then poured out in whichever way he wants to pour you out. When you submit to that, that is a testimony. Don't ever let the enemy tell you that you don't have a testimony. Right, amen? amen? Because that is your testimony that you're allowing God to form you into the man and woman that he wants you to be in his kingdom, in his economy, so that he can fill you up 
and he can pour you out. And how many of you know that's not always very comfortable? <laughs> it's not. It's not very comfortable. Matter of fact, if it is comfortable, then you probably have you've probably formed and fashioned yourself so in, in, in some aspect. When he forms and fashions you into the vessel that he wants, it's usually uncomfortable. But that's the testimony because you're not doing your will, you're doing the will of the Father. Amen. Amen? Amen. And that's powerful. The world doesn't understand that. They have no concept of it. It's our job to be the example for them to see this is how you submit to the creator of the heavens and the earth. The one that created us, created you with a free will. And you take that free will and you say, I'm giving it back to the creator. And I'm saying, this is yours. You gave it to me, but it is yours. I'll do whatever you say. I submit to you. When we do that, the enemy doesn't understand it. There's no defense against that in the name of Jesus. There is no defense from the enemy whenever you have given your wills and your desire and your motive and your, your flesh. When you give that over to the king and he is able to take that and say it's something that he gave you. And you give it back to him, then God says, well, I can do something with this man and with this woman. Amen. I can do something with a, this body of believers. Amen? Amen. And that's powerful. Yes. And that's what encourages me about this church. Uh, I think this is how church is supposed to be. I don't throw any other churches under the bus by making that comment. I personally believe this is how church is supposed to be. Amen. It's one that's in faith. I know what it was whenever uh, Eric and Matt... Whenever they branched out and God called them to this. And I'm seeing it, what God is doing. And see, the great thing about this church is, there's no, there's no uh, financial backers. There's no denomination of men. There's no uh, charter. There's no founding fathers that contributed to this. This was born by God. And God continues to carry it. This is a true faith walk. And that's exciting. Yeah. All right? That is exciting. That's what church is supposed to be. I know the gospel is... They're, they're trying to franchise it. And they're trying to make it a corporate entity. But it will never be. They can have the appearance of it. But see, this is what they miss. They miss a church founded by faith. Men of action. Women of action. That's what stepping out in faith is. If I step off the stage, you don't laugh at me. I'm used to a border right here, so I'm, I might step right off in there. But look, I might run around. And it, it bodes well for me that y'all like to shout and scream hallelujah. Hallelujah! So if I shout, I won't feel bad. Uh, but see, this God's Holy Spirit, it can't be cookie-cutter. It can't be mass-produced. It can't be franchised in any worldly way. It takes faith and obedience. And when it's done right, this is what God utilizes. This is what he's looking for. Right? Yeah, I encourage you. You keep doing what God has put on your heart to do. You keep submitting your heart to him. You keep doing what, whatever God asks you to sacrifice. You do it. And you watch God. He will, he will manifest his He will continue to manifest his call and his glory in this place. And what it does... Whenever you come together in obedience like this, and in real faith, how easy would it be to say if we, if, if Brother Eric and Matt, you know, built a church, but they, you know, they had a, a 12 financial backers. You know, one guy was a politician, one guy's this, that, and the other, and they built a big church. And where would the faith be in that? Where would the, where would the spiritual accomplishment? Then we could give, we could give them glory for taking the money and making a good investment. 
And then we can give all the backers some glory. Because they, where would God have glory? There wouldn't be any. But see, in this situation, this is to me where the rubber meets the road in Christianity. And I rejoice in it. And it's encouraging. And I, and I, I love it. It's an encouraging thing. So, Do you all love it? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So, I, I, I love this situation. This is, this is how my faith was born. Now, let me back up and tell you a little bit before my faith was born. Uh, I was born to a, a woman. And, uh, and, uh, thank you. I was born to a woman. A wonderful, beautiful lady. And uh, my father uh, was a big old Viking guy. Uh, you all met my dad? Yeah. He's uh, not the athletic Viking. He's the nerdy Viking. He's 6'5 and about 285 at one point, and uh, just a big old lumbering, sweetheart, gentle man, but no more knew God than the man in the moon, and neither did my mom. They were both in rebellion. I believe they even had me out of wedlock, and this, that, and the other, but at any rate, they were married for a short period of time. I was born, yeah, I was born, and uh, quickly that marriage disintegrated. Uh, the enemy was all over it, and at that point in my one-and-a-half-year-old life, my life was destined for absolute destruction. My soul was about to have seeds sown into it from the world, completely without anything. I was just a one-and-a-half-year-old walking around, and the enemy was licking his chops at another soul that was going to be destined for destruction, that was probably going to grow up in his father's footsteps, mixed with his mother's footsteps, and sow other bad seed in other people's lives, and just be a heathen. That's where I was destined. That's what I was destined for. We were all born into the sinful nature. And I found myself in that, that time period in the same place. Uh, my parents divorced. Uh, very quickly, my mother married another man named Buzz Tremaine, who also was lost as could be, and who had also been in a divorce. And he had two, two sons. And so they got married pretty quickly. I think I was two years old or two and a half. And so we had this instant mixed bag of a family, uh, heathen man, heathen father, heathen woman, uh, two crazy kids, her, his kids, uh, my two older brothers, who I love them, but they are crazy, uh, and then me, and that was it, and so here we are, this together, mixed bag, dysfunctional, heathen family, nobody knows Jesus, and guess what that marriage was headed for? Destruction. Instantly, right off the bat, as soon as the, the, the car pulled in the driveway from the honeymoon. And I noticed this. At a, I, I have images and, and memory from that time. A lot of us can't remember, and I, I have just little flashbacks. But I actually remember these bad seeds being planted in me. And I just mean experiences. You know, ungodly. When, when your home is ungodly, it, it, it affects more than just you, obviously. It affects everybody in the household. And even though I wasn't some ungodly, rebellious two-year-old, or heathen two-year-old, I didn't know God, and I wasn't sanctified by the covering of my household. And therefore, the enemy had free shots at me and my brothers, and, and it was very apparent. So we grew up in this situation, and it got so bad in my, my parents' life uh, that uh, they actually were, uh, when I was about five or six years old, uh, they had a, a little girl, uh, my, my younger sister, and I was about six years old, and she was an infant, and it got so bad in the marriage that uh, 
they were genuinely, both of them, uh, well, she was contemplating, my mom was contemplating on how to leave, and my father was actually contemplating on how he could maybe kill her and get away with it. Um, and that, that's a true, I mean, they really hated each other. I have memories of uh, dysfunctionality where I would come home, and they would be in an argument, I'd come home from school, I got home before my two older brothers did, and uh, I remember hearing what I thought was uh, somebody doing construction on our house, and I remember peeking my head down the hallway of this little bitty spec house that we lived in uh, to see my stepfather uh, punching holes all in the walls of the house, this type of thing, because they were angry and upset. And when I say, I don't mean one or two, I mean like 60 holes all the way around the whole house, just walking around, and uh, because they were upset, and the enemy was just loving it. And I remember making toilet paper, mixing toilet paper and water and uh, Elmer's glue together and patching holes, asking my mom, like, happened? You know, what, what is going on? I don't think this is a normal thing that we're supposed to be doing in our house. Am I supposed to be six years old, patching holes? Is he going to kill all of us? And I really thought, I really had these thoughts. And, and so my mom would, uh, you know, she would try to keep it together, but she couldn't. I mean, she, she was hopeless. It was a hopeless situation in my life, and in my brother's life, and in my, my older brother's life, and in my young baby sister's life, and of course in my stepfather and my mother. And uh, this, this type of behavior went on and on uh, for a couple of years, uh, and it was always tumultuous and this, that, and the other, but it all kind of came to a head whenever, uh, and I remember it, I remember it like I'll remember this night. It's just one of those images in my head that I can't forget, and, uh, but to me it is the perfect picture of the enemy, and we all have these, I understand this, uh, this is your testimony. But I remember looking, it was about from here to your sound booth, in this little hallway, and my, my bedroom was right here, and I heard them, and they were going at it, and it was chaotic, and I got out of bed, I don't know what time it was, I was asleep, and I remember looking down the hallway and seeing my, my father, my stepfather, and my mother arguing in their bedroom, and they were, I knew that it was more intense than normal, and about that time, I saw him rear, rear back and punch her in the face and drop her. Right, and uh, I remember her looking. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to. I was about seven years old, and I didn't know how to comprehend that. I didn't know. I didn't know how to. Didn't know what to do. It was, I remember the feeling of utter hopelessness. I remember the feeling of complete despair as as a child, as a little kid, and uh, I remember feeling like this is what darkness feels like. This is what. This is it. Your your stepfather knocking out your mother and her crumpling to the floor and when she lifted her head up she was bleeding and he knocked her tooth loose and chipped her tooth this and the other and she was holding her face her nose was bleeding her lip was bleeding and I remember thinking this is this is helplessness this is despair this is this is what the enemy wants to do to every one of you and every one of your lives this is what the enemy wants to do God created us in his image and the enemy all he wants to do is to destroy and he wants to get you whenever he can, however he can. And that feeling of despair and hopelessness, I still remember it. That happened. Uh, they brought her to the hospital. She had some stitches in her lip, this, that, and the other. But I remember uh, thinking at that time, this is it. There's, uh, you know, we're going to be gone out of this family. And uh, who knows what's going to come next. But something amazing happened. And it was, of course, Jesus. 
And uh, my mother had a friend who loved Jesus, who was spirit-filled, would come over to the house. It was one of her old running buddies from high school that got saved and spirit-filled. And she was praying for him. It was Becky West. God love her. And uh, she would come over and she would minister to her old school friend. And my mom would sit there drinking a drink, smoking a cigarette, bad mouth and whatever. She'd, you know, telling her, oh, that's crazy, that's crazy. And Becky told her, what's the alternative in your life? Well, how do you, well, how do you, what do you have? You have nothing. You've got a scar on your lip from a marriage that's, that's tumultuous. So you, you're, you're going to leave him as soon as you can, this, that, and the other. And God began to deal with my mother. And my mother gave in and went to church with Becky. And God changed her life drastically. Amen. It wasn't a, a program. It wasn't a, it wasn't a, 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 some steps and a, a manual that was given to her. This is how you do it. God supernaturally changed her life at Bethany. Bethany in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Amen. Larry Stockstill, who she went to school with, came and prayed with her. And God's power anointed her life in a way that was drastic. And she realized that this is what was missing in her life. Soon thereafter, it, the same thing happened to Buzz, my stepfather. And God drastically changed the life. And where it, where it affected me is that I remember the feeling of the change in our family. It was something that was palpable. It was tangible. God's presence in our house. That feeling of despair and hopelessness that I felt, it was gone. And that is something that is amazing. Because I knew as a child, I couldn't explain it. I didn't know how to deal with the emotions or the circumstance. But I saw... And I felt God do something supernatural into these two crazy people that were raising me. And I saw it, I saw it trickle down, and it, it affected me and my two older brothers. And God began to do a work in my life at a young age. And I remember thinking, if this Jesus did this in my parents and in my family, I see that this is real then I'm dedicated to it because I, know, I don't want to ever feel that feeling of hopelessness and despair ever again. Wow. I don't want to ever feel the enemy ever again. And I knew that the only power that could defeat that feeling was the Holy Spirit that God poured out into my life as a young man, as a young kid, rather. I think I was eight or nine years old. And I went and got prayed for and gladly accepted Jesus. I felt God's peace instantly in my life. I saw it work in my parents instantly. And God began to deal with me at that young age, and he began to raise me up. And it's been somewhat of a whirlwind in my, uh, my, my, my life from that point on in a good way, in a God way. Uh, my parents were missionaries to Germany, and uh, they, my, my father uh, was able to travel to Eastern Bloc countries and do missions and, and fulfill a lot of things in his life in ministry and in missions that God had promised him. And I got to be a part of that. I got to see at a young age, I got to experience, which I don't know if you went to Germany. Did you get to go to the church in Germany? No. You got to, he got to meet the pastor, one of the pastors, and be at the church that I, when I was a kid, whenever I was uh, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, I got to be part of that ministry in another country and be, be able to experience that and experience God's moving. And it was very humbling as a young man to see that God working and see that God could move on different language barriers and different cultures and different people groups. And a, and a kid my age or a kid like me 
that did, we were from, literally from different parts of the world, Jesus still spoke his language. Because that same hope, hopelessness and despair that I experienced, I saw people there experiencing, and God saved them from that. Yeah. And that's powerful. Yeah. That's yeah. what God wants us to do. That's what he wants to be in us for other people. Amen? Yeah. And don't you ever think in the name of Jesus that your testimony is not worth more than anything in this planet. Because, see, God can utilize all those bad seed that have been... In all of our lives, we all have our, our testimony and our story where the enemy tried to snuff us out, right? Yeah. We do. might have happened early on in life. might have happened later in life. might have just happened last week that God changed all that. But the fact of the matter is, is that God changed it. And God is wanting to use us and shape us and mold us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Turn to, uh, if you will, 2 Corinthians. Before I read that, hallelujah. hallelujah. Before I read that, I got to. We came back from Germany, I'll just tell you this real quick. Um, this is the best, the better part of the whole, my whole little testimony. This was, uh, I think, because I, I, I was dragged around. Uh, I was t- talking to Jennifer about this on the way over here. Whenever I was uh, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, 15 years old, uh, we were in Germany. And it was all ministry all the time. That was all that happened. And I kind of got, me and my little sister, uh, and, and my older brother, Shay, for a while he left and went back to America. But for a while it was just us. We didn't have a youth group. Uh, for a while we didn't know any kids that spoke our language, this, that, and the other. We went to German high school, uh, the German school system there, and uh, which was weird when you don't speak the language and people don't like you because you're American. We'd have our Levi jackets on and our, our you remember the tightrope pants? We'd have uh, tightrope pants and the Levi, uh, the Levi jackets, which Levi's there at that time period, there was a, there were, uh, nobody had them. So me and my brother knew it, so we'd walk around and nobody liked us. Imagine that. And so it was not, the, you know, it was not a, uh, an easy time. So anyway, that, there was a lot of things that were put in in ministry that I was placed in uh, you know, playing music for our for the praise and worship, and and helping uh, our, the uh, the Americans uh, translate for the the youth groups, and this, that, and the other during preaching. So a lot of my life, it was I was sowing seed, uh, and I, I was just a young kid. I mean, I was you know, there was a part of me that just wanted to be a young kid, but thankfully my parents forced me to to be in this situation. I couldn't do anything. So. Yeah. <laughs> And, and I sowed good seed, and, and God blessed me with that good seed sowing, and thank Jesus, because as soon as I landed and we got back to America and got into American life, um, God doesn't, I'm not, I never say that uh, God doesn't speak to me every single day. I can't tell you that I for sure, I mean, he speaks to me, but he doesn't speak, speak to me, okay? Um, I'm, I know he speaks, but I know whenever he, he impresses upon me, and I know when he speaks to me. And uh, he's only really spoken to me a handful of times in my life. And uh, one of the times we, we, were, we, we were itinerating, and uh, we were supposed to go back to Germany, and I told my parents, uh, God has spoken to me, and you're going to laugh, because we had a home there, we didn't, have, we didn't own anything here, we had a home, we had a car, they had a church, this, that, and the other. And I said, God has he spoken to me that we're not going back to Germany. And I was 15. And they thought it's because I'd met a girl or something or I was having fun at the youth group. 
But I knew what God had spoken to my heart, and I told them, I, I don't think we're going back. I really don't. I feel like God spoke to me about that. And it was kind of an off-the-wall thing. I never told them about any kind of things that God spoke to me or nothing. You know what? God never spoke to me, and it affected the family, you know, in that kind of manner. And, of course, my parents did laugh at me. But lo and behold, our visas got canceled. <laughs> Praise God. Our visas got canceled, which is unheard of because we were Americans and this, that, and the other, but they got canceled. It was an absolute act of God. Americans don't have their visas canceled, especially in the situation that we were in. But it was an, uh, it was an act of God. Our visas were canceled. And lo and behold, now we're here in Baton Rouge. And I don't doubt it for a moment. It's so that I could meet my wife. And, of course, I could meet these guys. And, and, be, and but, I, but see, God... He is miraculous in his, his planning, yeah. but he's got it under control. I was able to get integrated back in high school life and this, that, and the other. And God plugged me in, and I met Lynn uh, right before I started going to high school. I was a sophomore, and uh, I was 15. This being the, I was a, a year back. I was held, held back a year because of the German homeschool and this, that, and the other. And uh, I met Lynn at a birthday party, and I knew that... I wanted to get to know whoever that was. And I, I never had a girlfriend or anything like that. I mean, I had, didn't ever, never the opportunity. You don't speak somebody's language, it's kind of hard. And that just was not, you know, it, was, it just never happened, right? I didn't have any real girlfriend ever in my life. And so, but, and so I was, uh, was no good with the, I didn't even, I, could, I can't even say that I was no good with the ladies because there had never been an opportunity in my life to even be able to even say that. But I, I knew whenever I saw my wife at this birthday party, that I wanted to get to know her. I didn't know any of these kids. It was that it was. I'm trying to sum all this up so I don't go into too much detail. I don't want to bore you guys, but this is a very important part of my life, obviously. But uh, the I, I, we met some people. Uh, my parents were ministering to some people who uh, wanted to get me into school, and they were gonna. They had offered to pay my way, and uh, thank God because our, our education was uh, my education was going out the window. But anyway. So uh, they brought me with, the, they had two sons, and their son said, hey, we're going to come bring you to a place where you're going to meet some guys that you're going to go to school with later on. So I was like, praise God. And this also ties into this church here in a second. But, uh, so I go to this birthday party, and I see this 16-year-old girl. 16? 16. 16-year-old 16. 16 girl. And I was this 15-year-old kid straight out of <laughs> Germany. No idea. <laughs> Like, I was wearing, like, dorky German clothes uh, that were, you know, just goofy stuff. Out of place. Out of, I had no idea what's going on or this, that, and the other. And I walk in, and I felt like that, I don't know who that is, but I'd like to get to know her. I mean, I'd like to just go say hey to her or something. But I didn't know how to do it. Didn't know, you know, and I didn't know she was dating, like, the quarterback. She was going on a date with the quarterback point guard, pitcher for all the teams of Mr. Chapel Traft in the school they went to. And so she was going on a date with him. It was his birthday party. That meant nothing to me because I didn't know. If I, had I known, it might have meant something to me, but I didn't know. But anyway, the point was is that I wanted to meet this, this, this girl and I told the brothers later when we were driving home, I, I just wanted to ask about Lynn. And I said, you know, what's her name? What's, what's her story? What's her situation? And this, that, and the other. And one of them was like, oh, dude, she's a senior. You're a sophomore. I don't think you realize you don't understand what that means. And I was like, no, I don't. Thank God, again, I had no idea. That meant nothing to me what a sophomore and a senior was. Uh, and they know, and Lynn had gone to the school their whole life, and everybody, she was adored by everybody, rightfully so. And 
I didn't realize the prize catch that God had put into my life at the time. Again, thank God, because I would have been terrified and nothing would have ever happened out there. But out of ignorance and bliss, I uh, met her again and went and timidly said hello to her and uh, prayed, God, please. And I, I, I'm just out of faith speaking this. God, please, let me have the opportunity uh, to be able to just meet this girl again. And, and we talked on the phone a couple of times. Somehow I got her number. I don't even know how. I can't remember how that part went. Yeah, that was... Yeah, where are the single people? Why are there no aliens going? Again, it was all Jesus. Uh, that's all I can say, and that's the whole point of this part. It wasn't because I was like, oh, hey, I got this together. It wasn't. That was the last thing. It was all Jesus, otherwise it wouldn't have happened. Uh, and I remember, I don't know her from, really from Adam. And we hadn't talked on the phone yet, I'm sorry. And I, we start school. I've only seen her two times. And I'm walking and I'm trying to absorb all of this high school stuff. And it's a little small high school, small private high school. And, uh, you know, I have to wear a uniform and this, that, and the other. And there's, there's cliques and there's, you know, they're all incredibly rich. I don't even own the clothes that I have on, you know, in, the, in this, in this the school. I was very out of place. And I remember I was walking trying to figure out what I'm doing. And Lynn walked through the gymnasium, uh, the chapel, rather, and was walking. When I saw her open the door, I thought, oh, we're walking on the same. Everybody else was gone in their classrooms. It was just me and her outside. And I was like, oh, it's her. It's going to be cool. And uh, just casually look at this paper. And do I ask her a question? I was just, all this stuff was running through my head. And I couldn't do anything. I was like, hey. And she smiled and was graciously waved to me and, or said, hey, or whatever. And that's all I could get out. But at that moment, and this is a great testimony for me personally, at that moment, God spoke to me that that would be my wife. And, and you have to understand that that had to be God, all right, at that moment, because there was no other way that it could have been. Because I didn't know where I did. And I thought, is this my flesh saying this? Am I naming it and claiming it, you know, and I don't even know it? Am I trying to walk out in something super that's not God? And God spoke it to me again, and I thought, well, it will have to be, I guess. Because I don't even know the girl, and you just spoke to me, Lord, that this was going to be my wife. And thank God, again, the seed that I sowed, maybe by force in my life, but it was still seed that God gave me credit for, obviously. He blessed me with my wife. He divinely, supernaturally set up. And in that relationship, other people... Uh, Angie, where's Angie? Oh, there's Angie. I'm sorry. That was, uh, that's, that was Lynn's, one of Lynn's closest best friends growing up. And this relationship, as it, these types of relationships, God had this thing worked out and mapped out and orchestrated. The kids that I went to high school with, when, we, when my parents found themselves... Without a church, without any support, this, that, and the other, God spoke to them to open up a, a Bible study in their home. So they did it. And it was kids that I went to school with, four of them, I think, was the first church meeting. Four kids in the living room. I was very, I felt awkward. Because now I was a junior or whatever I was, and, and I've got, I'm inviting these kids, my friends, schoolmates, to this church in, in, in my parents' living room at that. And, but through that meeting, 
God put me in contact. I got to play football. Thank God not against Eric. <laughs> he graduated before I ever... Thank Jesus. But my high school... I still had to deal with Matt. My high school and Matt's high school unfortunately played football together. Which is not fair because his high school was so much bigger, but their football team was terrible. However... <laughs> however... Matt was not terrible. And Matt was the same size then as he is now. <laughs> to me, to me, I was like a buck sixty, maybe, with pads on. I was, I was literally thin, thin. Matt looks the exact same to me as he did then. He was huge, and he had on this huge face mask that was like the size of that fan over there. He had on this huge thing and had the hook that went down, and I thought, this team was supposed to be terrible, and I was running back. And I remember Matt. I don't know, y'all probably don't talk about this stuff much, do you? Uh, yeah. 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 Matt was gentle at heart even then, before God really. I mean, God had always had a, a call on Matt's life, but at that time, it wasn't what it is now. But he still had some gentle meekness to him. Because I know, because he took mercy on me uh, in a football game. But Matt, what he would do, and I still remember this, when he would tackle you, he would rear his head back like a catapult. Like he would like get running down the field, straight up. And when he came to you, he would rear back and headbutt you. And I, we watched video, we watched tapes of, of uh, Matt. And as a matter of fact, the only person that our coach said we had to worry about was Matt. Were you 55? Yes. See? 55. I remember that. Was Brad Lively 10? Yes. See, that was the only two people. Brad's another brother who I think shared here before, too. So, yeah. They were the only two guys that we had to worry about. It was number 10, number 55. Two brothers that are two young men that would get saved and God would change their life. And God ministered to Eric and to Jennifer. And I remember meeting Eric and Jennifer for the first time and talking to them. And how God worked this thing out. We do, all we have to do, and I encourage you with this, is when God speaks to you in your life, you walk out in obedience without hesitation. Because if you hesitate, the enemy can get a foothold in there. If you hesitate, then your flesh will try to talk you out of whatever God has spoken to you. And I know that for a fact in my life, when I've walked in obedience... In the most difficult times, in the most absurd times of my life, whenever I had the spiritual awareness and spiritual guts to walk out in faith in a real way, it's when God has honored me and given me the most in my life. Amen. And it's very undeserving, and I'm very humbled by it. But I, that's what God has in store for each of you. That's what God has in store for this church. And it's exciting. Amen? Amen. So anyway, we got... We all got saved, and uh, I get these guys in there, and all of these, Eric, Jennifer, Matt, and Cass, what, what, what God did, and it encouraged me in my faith, because in my, I was beginning to get distracted by high school life, and this, that, and the other, and through their relationship, God was able to, again, plant seeds of encouragement. And, and brotherhood and, and seeing what God's divine power was doing in their life, it encouraged me. And they spurred me along. Not because they were forcing me, but because of their obedience. It spurred me along. Amen? Amen. So that's, that's basically it. And we got married and 
we had kids, and uh, there's lots of other stuff in ministry going on. But what's encouraging is, is that God is fulfilling everything that he's promised. Yes. And the enemy, he's tried to destroy it. It's not going to happen Amen. in the name of Jesus Amen. because of faith of the believers. Amen. 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 Don't turn to uh, 2 Corinthians. Uh, uh, 2 Corinthians, did I already tell you all that? Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I've heard it on the uh, recordings that I've heard. Um, verse 11. And I'm going to share this, and I'm not going to share anything with you, obviously, that you don't know. But I will share to you from my perspective and how God has encouraged me in this area. And I hope that it encourages you. And in some way, it spurs you on in your walk. Amen? Amen. All right. Verse 11 says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. What we are, and that word persuade, I don't know it because I don't have my Bible. I forgot it. Shame on me. But this is my wife's Bible, but I had it written down. But that word persuade also in the Greek is, means to confidently urge. And you'll see, you see it in other parts of Scripture. In this part, that word is to persuade. I like the term confidently urge those that don't know Jesus and what he's given you because you walk in this thing in faith in what? In confidence. Because God is... So when you are in a situation where God's Spirit is pouring you out to somebody else's life or into somebody else on their situation, you should have the feeling of persuasion. I understand, of course, what the word means. But I just like the idea of confidently urging someone in what God's done in you so that they can also experience this newness of life. They can also experience this. And that's what we do. We urge those that don't know the Creator like we know them. Like we know the Creator. We urge them to experience this with confidence. Amen? I just thought I'd share that with you. All right. Uh, what we are, uh, what we are, is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We, we are, uh, verse twelve. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen, rather than what, what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, some of, uh, just be honest with you, some people probably say that of you guys. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I know. You should wear it with a ba- like a badge of honor. All right. That's really what it should be. Tell your flesh, if you don't like it, I'm going to put two badges on. And I'm going to be even crazier. All right? Uh, where am I? Okay. Thank you. If we are out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for who? For themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Verse 17, I'm getting to my point. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us, he's writing this to you, just like he was to the church in Corinth. Amen? It's no different. Um, 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his very appeal to the creation through us. What a humbling concept that he has appointed you and I and all of our all the stuff that's happened let me finish reading before I, I don't want to talk through this part uh, verse 20 sorry we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us so we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God and of course to, for God to reconcile your sin and I want y'all to understand this and I know y'all I know y'all get this preached to you and that's what I love about what God's doing in this ministry, that he's raised up the men and the leaders in this church to preach God's word in its fullness. And that is awesome. You are blessed. Grab hold of it unswervingly and don't look to the right or to the left and surely don't look behind. Fix your eyes on what's ahead, amen? Because you are ambassadors for Jesus himself. God is making his appeal to humanity through all of you dysfunctional people. Alright? And, and we should take glory in that because it means that it's not because of what we were able to do. It's not because of our education, our social status, our economic status, or any of those things. It's only because of God's grace and love. And in my life, that's the biggest testimony. Is that if it wouldn't have been for Jesus, supernaturally transforming Two crazy individuals that wanted to literally kill themselves, uh, kill each other. If God's power would not have intervened, I would be one of those same people. It, God's love had to intervene in my life and make me an ambassador. And that is our testimony. You are an ambassador for Jesus. Amen. And I confidently, and I urge you to confidently urge others in that love. Amen. And this is the great thing about that verse. There's lots of great things, but this is one thing I want to encourage you with. God has reconciled your past, all right? He has put peace between his holy standard and your sin nature. He's put peace there. He has reconciled those two. Your sin is no longer at war with God's righteousness. You are now righteous. Amen. And I'm telling you, don't be ashamed of what God has saved you from. Don't Amen. be ashamed of that, Amen. all right? Take glory in that and give it to Jesus, of course, because there's nothing you could do. You were just going to keep on sinning until God changed you. And he made peace between your sinful nature and his holy standard of righteousness. Now you're in this. Now you're swinging a sword that the king gave you. Amen? Amen. And the enemy, he doesn't even want to fight you. All you have to do is show him the sword, and he backs up. There was a saying, I shared this, this blessed me. It was a saying in the Old West that the mere sight of a noose hanging from the gallow could cause one's mind to focus. And that is a great uh, analogy. That blessed me. I thought it would bless Eric. And it's not that, of course, I, I love the thought of that. Not, of course, not the notion of someone hanging. That's terrible. However, I do like the idea that a piece of rope hanging from a piece of wood could cause someone to think before they did something that was evil. Yeah. All right? And that rope hanging from that piece of wood 
could actually save your life, all right? And it was the consequence, and they would do it publicly. We all know that. And it was such a powerful statement that God's, uh, that this rope could, uh, w it would kill you for your evil deed. So that, and everybody knew it. They knew that that standard was there. They knew that that rope had that power to do that. And so you could be standing over at the saloon in your sinful ways, looking over at the bank, or looking at someone to rob, or contemplating something evil, and you could just look over and see that rope hanging from that piece of wood, and it would have the ability for you to say, whoa, what am I thinking? I I'm not going to do that. I'm going to turn from that. I'm not going to do that which is evil. Now, now to me, that, that there's a lot of connection between that's exactly what God's Word does in my life. Not that it brings death, but that it brings life. Amen. Because, and that's what, when we have that stored up in us, when we have that, when we are walking in this ambassadorship, when you're standing as the representation of Jesus on earth, whenever you're holding God's word, you are that standard. You are the life giver, all right? You are telling everybody there's going to be a consequence for your uh, sin. Your, your, your life should be a reminder to everyone that God's standard will rule on this planet. And it's out of love. It's out of complete love. It's what God has done for you. And this is the biggest thing. <clears throat> is that everything that's happened in your life, everything, all the stuff you're ashamed of, the stuff that you might not even have told your pastors about, or this, that, and the other, that which you've tried to keep hidden, that the enemy every once in a while wants to beat you up about, or this, that, and the other. When you're feeling low or you're feeling tempted, you, you've, you have this bad feeling about what God has saved you from. If Jesus reconciled it, then it should have no power over you in the name of Jesus, all right? You let the enemy know that, hey, if God says he's reconciled this between he and I, then this doesn't exist in the name of Jesus. You've got to take a back seat to what, I'm in God's kingdom now, all right? And that's important because we, won't, we don't want to ever offend God's presence in our life. God wants us to guard this, this transformation that's happened. I got two more scriptures, is that all right? Two more, two more scriptures. Look in... Uh, Look in Psalms 51. I know this is, y'all have this on pillows at home. I know this. I know y'all know this scripture. There's bumper stickers. Psalms 51, verse, I'm not there. Y'all hold on. Easy, easy. Okay, verse 10. Y'all making me nervous. I don't, can't find it. I'm looking at the page. All right. Psalm 51, verse 10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the what? The joy of what? Your salvation. And grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. I encourage you, this testimony, this ambassadorship that God has given you, this transformation of your heart, you have to guard it. Because the enemy wants to tear it down. And I know you all know this. I just encourage you. I've seen it in my life and what God has tried to do in this ministry and with with King's Harvest Fellowship and this, that, and the other. I've seen the enemy. I've seen the enemy come between a dear brother and the Lord that um, he, he should be here right now, all right? And, and not, not just a brother acquaintance or a brother, an intimate dear brother, all right? One of the ones that Scripture talks about, about being closer than your actual brother and sister. And actually, that's what this brother was. And I've seen the enemy... I've seen it a couple times in life, but not quite like this. And it's not over. 
It's not over by a long shot, but I've seen the enemy come in and divide that and to separate that. And it, it, if I wasn't relying on God's power and his word, it could have shaken me, right? It could have shaken me to a bad spot. But, but God's power in the name of Jesus, it's gonna, his call is going to, the call that God has on his life is going to be fulfilled. But the point is, is that the enemy, he doesn't care about my friendship. He doesn't care about my closeness to how close this brother was to us or this, that, and the other. The enemy doesn't care. He will come. He doesn't care if you have little kids or old kids or if you're old or if you're young. He'll come and kick your teeth in and drag you through the parking lot, all right, and have no mercy on you. And I encourage you, if you allow him to, in any aspect of your life to come in, he will, with everything in his power, shipwreck your faith. And so I encourage you to guard your heart. What God's changed in you and what God has transformed in your life supernaturally that the world can't explain and nobody can, it's valuable and it is important and God wants to use it. He wants to use it here and he wants to use it wherever this ministry takes it, right? And that's, that is supernaturally God working by his Holy Spirit, amen? amen. And real quick, I'm going to be five minutes and I'm, I'm sorry, I don't know what time y'all usually get out. <coughs> 10.30, Matt said it. Let me just tell you this. David wrote this, and we all know the story in uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11. Bathsheba, that was it? All right. All right. Uh, you all know the story of David and Bathsheba, right? Uh, he's up on his, I'll recap it very quickly. He's up on his palace. He wakes up in the middle of the night. Goes and looks up at his palace. He's on the roof of his palace, and he overlooks his kingdom. And he sees, of course, this beautiful young woman. He has to have her. He summons her to come to his temple. He's the king. He can do whatever he wants. Finds out uh, she has a husband. He knows this. Uh, he tries to cover up his sin. Covering up his sin doesn't work. The girl, she, she, of course, becomes pregnant. He tries to cover it up. It doesn't work. So then the husband, to get that was the only other equation that can... Uh, David could do to eliminate his sinful act before God, which he knew he'd done wrong, obviously. Uh, he has Bathsheba's husband killed in war, Uriah the Hittite, right? Everybody knows that part? Tragic story. That breaks my heart to even read that story. I've read it a whole bunch of times. Every time I read it, it crushes me, but it serves as a very powerful warning to my Christian walk. Because that David is the same David that in 1 Samuel 13, 13, I don't know. I'm not very good with uh, memorizing stuff. I think it's 1313. Is it not written? 1 <laughs> <laughs> Samuel, I think 13 something. You can check it out. But that's the same David that when, when Samuel went to go rebuke Saul, the king of Israel, he said, what have you done? You've disobeyed God. You're not going to rule the kingdom. God would have given you the kingdom of Israel, but you disobeyed God in a very bad way. So God now, he sought after a man who has a heart after God. That was the one of the greatest compliments in the Word of God, in my opinion, that God spoke to Samuel and said, I've searched out a young man named David who has the very heart that I have. He has a heart of God, a heart right after God's own heart. This same David, and of course we all know the story of David, he grows up, he's running this thing wide open. God's called him to something that's miraculous. He's, he's a nobody. God brings him to this part of of, of in this palace where he's the king over everything from nothing 
His testimony was nothing but faith in God uh, showing his power to David over and over and over. The more David pushed out in faith, the more God showed himself able to sustain David. So now David sits and he is now resting on his accomplishments. In his heart, he sees something he wants. And somehow this man who had a heart after God's own heart is now making this decision after he's already won the battle. He's already done it all, so to speak. And he, in a fleshly knee-jerk reaction, he tries to take something. He shapes his heart in a way that he wants to shape it. And instead of being poured out and giving God the glory, he wants to take some of the glory for himself. All right? And from that point on, the enemy is able to attack David in, in ways that he never experienced. But this is what he writes, all right? This is what, after Nathan rebuked him, Nathan came and said, you've done something terrible in the sight of the Lord. You've, this is terrible what you've done. And David repented because he knew. He knew that he had allowed his heart to be clouded by the sin from the enemy, all right? And I encourage you guys, guard your heart. Let's read that again. Verse 10, David cries out. It kind of puts this in context for me. This isn't just a good saying. Or this isn't something that we should just have on a pillow and not understand what it means. I believe this verse should go out as a warning to all of us to guard that which God has done in your life because it's precious. And the enemy wants to snuff it out at every turn. There's no breaks in this thing. You can't say, well, it's okay. I've been really close to God for, this, for a long time. I can take a break and go and indulge this and this and this in my life. God doesn't allow it. There are no, there's no rest for those that want to sin. Not even a little bit. The enemy's waiting for the opportunity to get a foothold in your heart. And I encourage you, guard it with everything that's in you because it's precious. All right? Amen. So in verse 10, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Again, I don't have my notes, but uh, the word create is bara. That's it. I thought you know it. I knew you know it. It's bara. And it actually means, create is of course some great translation. I'm not arguing with the translation of God's word. But it can also mean to fashion, shape, or mold. It means that it's pliable. It means that it is soft. It means that it means that when you, when you go to plant soil, can it, what is it supposed to be? Is it supposed to be hard and like a brick or is it supposed to be soft and malleable? It's supposed to be soft so that a seed can take root and it can grow. Your heart is, that's why all of the examples for your heart are supposed to be that way. That's why it's so important that you guard your heart. That's why it's so important that out of the, when the, oh, out of the overflow of your heart, that's what's going to come out. So if you want, every time you open your mouth for Jesus to come out, you better have Jesus in your heart and you better guard that thing like it's the only thing in life that matters. Because it is the only thing in life that matters. Amen? Amen? So David knows this. So he says, God, mold and fashion and shape in me this heart. I have messed it up. I want to have that relationship that I had before. Shame on me for messing this up. Shape and mold my heart back to the vessel so that you can use me. Amen? Amen. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. And the word renew is chadash. And it can also mean to... Oh, why did I forget my Bible? Baby, baby let me forget my Bible. I have it written down. Uh, the spirit, harash uh, means to, uh, which I like that translation better. Renew. It was to make right. It was to make firm. 
It was to, if you, it wasn't just to renew, but it was to embolden me, to make it firm. Not whenever the enemy comes against you and you're weak in spirit and you're, you're not standing up in boldness in what God saved you from and your testimony that God's given you, then the enemy can overcome you. And David was overcome. And he says, make firm my stance in you. Not just renew, make it firm. Make, it, make me strong in what you've called me. So in other words, not only can your, obviously your heart can become shaped and misshaped by sin, but you can also become weak whenever you allow sin to come in. And if your spirit is weak, then the enemy will overrun you. All right? I encourage you tonight. And in your ministry that God's given you, your testimony, let that thing be strong. Let God's spirit in you be strong. Stand up. Don't be ashamed of what God saved you from. And you might say, well, Justin, you don't know what God saved me from. I have done some bad things. No. In the name of Jesus, he's reconciled it. He'll use it. Well, you don't know. I've, I've given birth out of wedlock, and I've, I've, I've had an abortion. I've had this. God's probably called you to be a marriage counselor to raise kids Amen. or to be a children's church worker. Amen. God will do that. You say, well, I've been married five times. God might have called you then. If God saved you, he'll use that. You might be a marriage counselor. If you allow God, it doesn't matter what you were. And the enemy wants to remind you of that all the time, all of your shortcomings and your weaknesses. I'm telling you tonight, and I encourage you, God, if you allow that to be reconciled, he'll use it for his glory. Amen? Amen. If your heart is right, and if your spirit is strong, Amen? Amen. Amen. I love you guys. I, I appreciate y'all listening for this long. I look forward to the next time we get to talk and fellowship and uh, get to know you guys. Um, I'm encouraged by this, by seeing what God's doing. I told Brother Eric this uh, before church. This to me is what church is. This is it. This is where God is. Amen? Amen. And encourages me. I, I ask that you guys continue to pray for me and for the King's Harvest Fellowship. Because we're trying to do this same thing, and I'm determined that God is going to continue to do the work there, and that it's going to fulfill the call that God has on its, on its life, and what God called the King's Harvest Fellowship to. Amen? Amen. I love you guys. I love you guys a lot. Are we the kind that say that we'll pray and we do it some other time? No. Because no. we're men of action. We're men of action. Why don't you all crowd the front?